Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, how's it going? It's it's going well. Uh, we need to ask for forgiveness. Oh yes, we do. From our um, passionate, loyal, rabid fan base. Listener base, not fan base, listener base. Yeah, listeners. Listeners. That we did not do a podcast last week. Now, Jeff, I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, you are you are seen often as the most fair-minded and most neutral of all parties. I don't like this setup. So, <laughs> whose fault was it that we did not have a podcast last week? I actually have no idea whose fault that is. Jeff. What do you say, Jeff? I, think it's, I, think I wish it's people obvious. could see Jay's face right it's now. It's so obvious whose fault it was. No, this is the person in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> is the person in the room right now? Well, the, people can't see. For all oh. they know, Kristoff's like hiding in the corner. That would be so. Robbie's funny. like you know sitting somewhere. Yeah, the in studio silent um, live audience. Yeah, yeah, the in studio <laughs> silent. So uh, no. No, it was really, it was, the thing was last week was kind of a crazy week. And then all of a sudden, late Friday, Robbie sends out a message and says, podcast, ah, uh, and yeah, I felt really badly. So I think the, the moral of the story, so here's how it would go full circle. Robbie and I are not responsible enough to keep on that kind of a schedule. That's kind of you. You're the most responsible. <laughs> I like this is coming back to me. So I don't want to say it's directly your fault, but you are kind of the adult in the room. And so somebody should have been noticing that. I'm relieved that you're not going to say it. Not. What do you mean not going to say you it? He said, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. So I appreciate that. Oh, I still that. will. Oh. I say a lot of things I don't want to say, <laughs> but I have to. Which rather reminds me of this sermon this weekend. Um, Acts tap, chapter 10. Yeah, when really the last two weeks, which actually makes sense because this whole section is about Peter's interaction with the Gentiles. And so he starts out with the the healings, um, the paralytic man, and then uh, raising Tabitha from the dead. And, the, and those are done in Gentile cities. And so you have this interaction of Peter, between Peter and the Gentiles um, that carries over into this week as well so so yeah it's kind of a two-parter that i didn't treat as a two-parter but for the podcast we get to that's probably why you didn't record one last week because you thought they just went together that would have been an alternative explanation yeah I <laughs> it wouldn't be as accurate as okay. saying it was your fault oh boy so it wouldn't have been <laughs> but we already did it now we've already said we've already got an explanation i can out tell there. you feel better this is our story <laughs> this is our story and we're sticking to it no, you know, look, you just all, I don't ask for much, Jeff. I just ask for you to be the adult in the room and make sure that I don't mess anything up. That's it. Got it. That's all, Noted. that's all I need from you. <laughs> you know, it's your one job. Um, so this past weekend we talked about Peter's racism. Yeah. Axe, Axe is so <laughs> building. I just love how we get this picture of the gospel advancing and right now it's the gospel advancing into places and among people that there was no framework or imagination for. It's just beautiful. Right. Right. You didn't even bite on me saying that it was about Peter's racism. Oh, you just no. went right into that. 
It was, so this was one of the challenging things about this sermon was we talk about this, we've mentioned this before, that um, there's definitely an accusation. Pastors deal with this all the time when you're preaching on something that, um, it's one thing when we're preaching about something that you just assume most of the people in the congregation are going to be on board with. Um, but you're going to deal with things in scripture, shockingly, that are going to press against. It is not the pastor's job to preach to the choir, as it were, and to just say the things that everyone will rally around. We also need to, like the whole point of preaching is to stir affections and to stir desires and to um, open people to conviction and to response to that conviction and to walk in um, in renewal in the spirit. Um, and so that means that sometimes things are going to come up. And and one of the criticisms that will come up, not just against me, but many people all throughout the history of the church is um, the accusation of being political and turning things in and politicizing uh, things. This, this came up, you know, years ago with the whole uh, debate around the social gospel. And so um, it came up with slavery. It can't, it's it throughout the history of the church. Um, there has been an attempt to kind of downplay social things, the social impact of the gospel, the social effects of the gospel um, as people are being transformed to downplay those with the accusation of, well, that's political. And, you know, it's obvious it's human nature, right? That, that I I've said before, nobody, nobody has ever accused me of being political. If I talk about the sanctity of human life, um, that's, not seen as political it's seen as a biblical issue which i agree it is a biblical issue that's why i preach on it um if we talk about sexuality or we talk about marriage and divorce or anything like that those are not um those are not political issues those are biblical issues and so everyone's fine with it but then when it comes to um, racism or injustice uh, or caring for the stranger or the poor or um, caring for the poor often is in kind of in between depends on where you take that or how, how far you push it. As long as it's kept generic, then people are usually okay with it. If you get too specific, then people, um, get a little uncomfortable with it. Um, but here we have a passage that, that very clearly the issue at hand is, is Peter's prejudicial, prejudicial view, his, his, um, I mean, his, racism like he he views the gentiles as unclean and as a part it's, they're kind of they're outsiders um and so it's very clearly what's going on here and that is a bottleneck for the gospel now what's i i don't know what you think about when you read that passage what's interesting is peter has just had really positive um interactions with the gentiles by by with the through these healings and he's sit, staying at Simon the Tanner's house so that's not likely um gentile but uh he the tanner part like he's he's pushing the envelope like peter is definitely going out on the fringe he is not peter would not have been considered the most um conservative like if you had if you had the spectrum there peter would not have been seen as the most conservative um, apostle or most conservative in the church. You still had, it's, it's important to remember that for most, I mean, for everybody, Christians were not Christians yet. They were following the way they believed Jesus was the Messiah. They were Jews. They were still, they were just, they were, they were Jews. 
and they saw themselves as being true Jews by now following the Messiah. And so this idea of that we get from the, the church being like, well, yeah, why does it matter if you're Gentile or whatever? Like, you know, we're all Gentiles. But then that was a that was a big deal. And they were still trying to figure out what is um, how does the gospel actually unite and bond together? And does this is this going outside of Jerusalem? Is it going outside of the Jewish faith? Yeah, and the, the basic assumption that you are out because of your ethnicity, right? It's it ends up being something that controls a narrative and a way of thinking and, and all kinds of assumptions. It's the disinformation, misinformation that it just rules. Yeah, and I mean, some of the epistles are still dealing with this, right? In Galatians, they're still working through who needs to be circumcised, who doesn't. And that's all related to the same question of who's in and who's out. Are you are you becoming a proselyte? Are you converting to Judaism? Are you following Jesus? This is not a simple question for them to answer, and especially when this was a diverse area. One thing that I think is really neat about Acts is it shows that the the people of God were not living in this isolated place where they never encountered people of other beliefs or ways of life or ethnicities. They were surrounded by people of other ethnicities and ways of life. It wasn't like a monoculture where everyone just believes one thing. There, that wasn't how it was at all. This is a beautiful picture to me of that opening up in a powerful way. God just intervening and making it so clear. No, these people are in, Peter. They are in. And that right there is really fascinating because, so here's, here's something to consider. Um, one of the great challenges facing Christianity right now is is trying to figure out, well, what does it look like to minister in a pluralistic society? Because for um, centuries, really, we've been in not, not a pluralistic society, meaning geographically, people kind of believed um, groups of things, groups of people in geographical locations believed similar things. And so what that does is creates a, a stronger foundation of that. And so people sometimes will look back and they'll say, well, I remember back in our country where the 10 commandments were on the, you know, on the wall and everything. Well, that all comes from a, um, a, a more, a, a more homogenous culture where most people ascribe to the same beliefs, the same faith, the same kind of cultural things. That's it. Not a pluralistic society in a pluralistic society. You have convergence of all these different view these worldviews and these beliefs and that has increased more and more as travel has become much easier people have become much more mobile you you can move across the country you can move to a different you can move to a different country um certainly refugees you know coming in and out um you know place switching countries and um different views the internet obviously is a massive uh, tool in that you can find you you can find any worldview. You could be in the middle of a twenty person town in West Texas, and you could still you could still ascribe and and learn and follow the teachings of some Far East philosopher. Um, and so we live in a pluralistic society now, which kind of weakens some of those cultural uh, norms. And so anyway, the the point of that is saying this feels so new. And yet what's so fascinating is it is recreating first century, like Jerusalem area. Like it is, that was a pluralistic society. 
it was absolutely a pluralistic society. So it's fascinating when we think that the Bible is outdated or irrelevant. Um, it, they they were very much in this, and so this is why people are finding such um, encouragement from the New Testament right now because the cultures are so it's strikingly similar, and um, and then you even see it in the epistles, like you know First Peter is written to Christians who are exiles. They're basically they're you're in a culture that does not hold your beliefs. How do you function in a culture like that? And first Peter is written to that. And, and and so it's just so fascinating to me that we think of the New Testament times as ancient and kind of archaic. And it is it's not. It's actually it's actually quite modern and actually dealing with issues that we deal with today that we haven't dealt with for centuries, but now we are. Yeah, and it to me it's good reason there's a tons of reasons for this but it's good reason to not panic when you feel suddenly like people around you believe differently than you that's how it has always been for followers of jesus they have always lived among people of different beliefs than them who function differently in the world that's just normal you can't read jesus sermon on the mount without seeing the assumption that his disciples will live among people who are very different so there's nothing to um, panic about. God is not wringing his hands over that. That's actually part of his design. We're seeing that in Acts, how even the persecution and the challenge of that is what's pushing the gospel out. So more and more who appear to be far off and far outside the kingdom can be brought near in the kingdom through Jesus. That's, that's over and over again, God's Spirit's doing that. And that is what's unique about Christianity, that it is, uh, I think Tim Keller pointed this out he probably i don't know if he took it from somebody else but i got it from tim keller um so that's who i'll credit but the idea that the gospel christianity is the only religion that does not have a geographic center it's the only religion that moves it's it's power center if as it were has moved over time you know it starts in in jerusalem it moves you know into into rome it um, goes into Europe. It, now it comes over here, um, and now it's moving south, like that, to the southern hemisphere um, and to China. Like we, we don't realize because our country has been kind of the. It has been the the cultural and powerful power center of Christ, the Christian faith for probably the last hundred years or so. Um that's so short compared to <laughs> its powers like in the grand scheme of things it's already it's already moving because i think the world is moving faster but it's just funny to think that you know in eternity we might look back and see the us like the united states um p- place as like the center of the christian world as being such a tiny blip compared to you know what it was in europe or in rome or in in jerusalem in the middle east but like the 1040 window where we talk about like the the lowest representation of Christianity used to be the center of Christianity. It did. Just two weeks ago, I got to teach the history class oh, yeah. on the Eastern Church for our Wednesday night class. And I have to say that prepping that material and thinking through um, things like Baghdad, Iraq, being a power center in early Christianity right. was so fun. And it was so amazing to hear how God took the gospel and moved it all the way into India, into China in the very early days of the church. Imagine Christian missionaries alongside 
Buddhist missionaries both contending for the truth of their message and Christian missionaries having to figure out how do we love these Buddhist missionaries well? Mm -hmm. Do we help them translate their works? Because we're writing down languages that haven't been written yet. What do we do with that? And they really had to wrestle with those questions. And yeah, it's just, to me, it's amazing. And it shows also that the world is not on a, um, an evolutionary trajectory. And what I mean by that is Christianity grows and grows and grows and grows in one place as a sign that maybe the kingdom is advancing because that doesn't seem to be what happens in history. You have these centers of Christianity in the early church and in the first thousand years that are no longer the center. We don't assume right now that if we ran into someone in Baghdad, that they would be a follower of Jesus. Hmm. That would be an exception, but it didn't used to be that way. That doesn't mean that God's kingdom is not still advancing though. Right. It doesn't mean that God's purposes in the world have been thwarted. He's sovereign over all of that. And that's the same with our country. If there's a sense of, oh man, what's happening? We don't need to have that. God is sovereign over that. He is using the things that we can see as the biggest challenges to be the thing that pushes his gospel forward. He has done it right. over and over again. Right. And that's that's kind of the point of seeing how it doesn't how it's not had a geographical center is the fact is because the gospel is transformative. It doesn't fit into a cultural box. It isn't defined by a culture. It isn't tied to a culture. It is, it's from God. And so it, it transforms cultures and it transforms people. And so you're right. We don't, we don't need to be worried about the church. Now I get it. Um, so, so you may be wondering like, okay, what are we rambling on about? Why is this important? Well, I think a big thing about this is, as we read acts and how it applies to us today is, is a big part of this is about perspective. It's just really good, like as we deal with, as we try to consider whether it's racial injustice or abortion or any other issue that's going on in our culture, I think the first thing we have to do is just gain some godly perspective and take a step back. This is what God did, you know, when, when the Jews were in exile, he gives them perspective. Hey, remember how I've been faithful to you? Remember how I've called you out? Like I, you are my people. I'm faithful to you. Like he just keeps reminding them, Hey, in the context of your daily life, remember we do this all the time. Um, you know, in, in our daily lives, like when we are suffering or when something hard happens, we know that we can grieve for this thing that feels painful in the moment. And, and we can be concerned and want to work for a solution while still being reminded that God is sovereign and, and not, um, you know, not panicking about it. And we've said before that, man, when fear takes us over, we, we say and do all kinds of things that are ungodly. It's never going to create in us a Christ-like position and posture. And so it all comes kind of full circle that if we want to be a blessing to our community right now, um, then we need to have that godly perspective. That's the only thing, you know, trusting in God's sovereignty and in the gospel is the only thing that actually transforms and, and gives pure hope um, is what will give us the courage and the, um, uh, the persistence and the perseverance uh, to actually love and serve well, to be a blessing in our community, um, to see some of the things that we'd like to see happen around us. So I think perspective is just a really critical thing and to realize um how how christianity like look this is just the way it goes and the united states is not always going to be the center of the christian world and like i said it's already it's already diminishing even in scholarly and in, in numbers um 
there's a really great missiologist in his book, and I don't even remember who he was quoting, but Michael Goheen uh, talks about how uh, that there will come a day where white Christian will sound to us like Swedish Buddhist. Meaning you probably don't know, like, you probably don't associate Sw- Swedish Buddhist. Like those two don't, they, that sounds strange to go together. And kind of like you were saying, it might sound strange that you would follow, find a Christ follower in Baghdad, but there was a time mm-hmm. where that would have been the norm. That there was a time when to hear of, oh, there was, I ran into a Christian in Baghdad would be like saying, oh, I ran into a Christian in Dallas. You'd be like, okay, yep, that's that's not weird. That's not unusual at all. Um, and and there's going to come a day where that's that will sound weird. Like you, there will come a day that I, I I believe just the way that God works throughout history that um, if you said, hey, I ran into a Christian in America, somebody would be like, wow, that's that's wild. And and I know that when if you if people are hearing that. There, it's maybe raising feelings of like grief, which it should. Grief is a good feeling in that. It could raise feelings of, well, I want to, I don't want that to be the case. I think that's also good. Like we, the answer to that is not we throw up our hands and be like, well, that's what's going to happen. So who cares? Um, this should motivate us in all those ways. Um, but what it shouldn't do is make us um, have a death grip on our culture and believe that, well, if, if that's the case, then the gospel is no longer advancing and it shouldn't cause that kind of despair in us or lead us. I think often it can lead us to respond to that with, uh, not overcoming evil with good, but with evil yeah, and with sin. And that's what the, the panic things are out of control response can often be for us is that we respond for Christ's kingdom with things that are not of Christ's kingdom and that never works. You end up advancing a different kingdom. That's where I think that right. your point on Sunday about blind spots was really helpful. I don't know if we have time to talk more about that a little bit, but I think that that's really related to this. Yeah, the the blind spots thing, and that's that gets fed into when we are fearful and when we do panic, then our blind spots actually become worse. I mean, we all have been in situations where you get, you get really, you know, in crisis mode. When we talk about crisis mode and there are legitimate crises, you know, like there's a fire in your house, then you're going, your blind spots will actually become bigger because, because you're focusing so intently on what do you have to do? Like, I've got to get out of this house. I need to get my family out of this house. You're not wondering, did I, did I leave the TV on? Like that's, you're just, you're totally oblivious to all of that. And that's what happens to us when we are, um, in crisis mode or struck by fear, we, we have blind spots. Um, and so whatever blind spots we have naturally just get worse in, in those conditions. But the danger, um, you know, if you're actually trying to get out of a a house that's burning, we would all agree like, Hey, that's really good that you have that hyper focus. And if somebody said to you, like, well, did you leave the TV on? You'd rightly say out in the street, like, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I that was definitely a blind spot. I have no idea if I left the TV on and I don't care. The problem is that in culture, when we're just doing that on a daily basis, we aren't aware that we have those blind spots and we think we don't. Like we, we think that we see everything clearly, but we really only see from our own perspective. You can only see 
what you're capable as a finite human being that you know is limited to time and space and your own brain and and when we don't acknowledge that um we actually what we're doing is we're actually saying that we have the mind of god like we actually think we we if if when we're just calling a spade a spade if i if i function as though i have no blind spots then i am claiming to be omniscient and omnipresent and that I have the mind of God. Now, I hope that anybody saying, hearing that would be like, well, that's ridiculous. I don't, I obviously don't think that. Well, then, then we have to acknowledge that we don't see everything clearly, right? We don't. And it's a challenging thing because it's a blind spot because it's a blind spot. You know, like we right. don't see it. And right. at least when we're driving, we, we are aware there's a certain part of the car that I can't see next to the car. But the hard thing in life is that we don't necessarily know where those things are. And to me, that's where the spirit of God and followers of Jesus that we are walking with brothers and sisters are so important so that we can help each other see, like, we just don't see that, that blind spot there. You don't realize how much your perspective on that is. You just can't see what you're doing, your actions or your behaviors or whatever. Peter here had that clearly with something that we can read now and think, well, yeah, of course, of course you can be a follower of Jesus and not be Jewish. Right. But it was, that was a blind spot for him and we have our own. Yeah. What's interesting about, so if you look at Peter's situation and how does that relate, I think, you know, there's some things that I didn't get to cover in the sermon, but if you think about how Peter actually viewed the Gentiles, he didn't overtly hate them. He literally just healed he, he healed the man. He raised Tabitha from the dead. He's staying with them. So I think you could classify Peter's view of Gentiles as, um, like, I think he, I think he was willing to minister to them, but he wasn't, um, he didn't see them as fully in like as, as you know, if you think about that, he's willing to heal them, but not to eat with them. You know, he's willing to preach the gospel to them, but not, um, but not to fellowship with them. And I think it's interesting when you think about how Peter, Peter would have, if, if you had a spectrum of uh, super conservative to progressive on the early church scale, as far as how they viewed um, the law and, and morality and, and all these different things, Peter probably would have been pretty much in the middle. Like he's not he's not the circumcision party. Um, he's not, he's not like, you know, adamant that everyone has to follow the law. Like he's preaching the gospel. He understands the gospel. He, every time he's had a chance to preach the gospel, he does, he doesn't preach the law. Um, and there were, it's important to remember that because they were all seen as Jews, the circumcision party comes out of that. The circumcision party are, are believers in Jesus, the Messiah, who don't fully understand the message of grace yet. Like they still, they're, they're like, okay, but I also still need to be a faithful Jew. They were trying to be faithful to God, but they didn't fully like, you know, I think it's safe to say they hadn't fully come around to understanding what the gospel actually means and how God actually transforms and cleanses. So Peter would have been seen as far more progressive in his understanding of that than the circumcision party. And yet, he views the Gentiles as unclean and that by being with them and fellowshipping with them and eating with them, that he would then be unclean. 
And you think, how, how in the world does this guy miss that? But that's, that's the power of a blind spot. It's a, it's the power of thinking like, well, my understanding of this is perfectly accurate. So therefore I don't really give thought to what I might not be seeing. No. And I, it's interesting. I literally right before we recorded this podcast, I was listening to a lecture for one of my classes and the professor was talking about how we take human difference, things that are just different and we assign goodness or badness to it. And so if you think of it like a ladder, so you think about all the rungs on a ladder, that's a, the top rung is a goodness and the bottom rung is badness. So it's a vertical ladder. Most things in human life are actually a horizontal ladder. So you take the ladder, flip it on its side, and all the rungs are now pointed vertically up and down. And on that ladder, you have all these human differences. So here you had ethnic difference, and you can have physical differences. You can have um, material differences. Some people are poor, some people are rich. And those are actually just vertical rungs on a horizontal ladder. They're just human differences. They are not necessarily bad or good. But every our human tendency is to take those things and flip the ladder like a normal ladder that's climbing up and we take well you're this ethnicity so that's closer to the top of this ladder that's a little better or you are you have more money than that person well that's a little better you're more athletic than that person that's a little better all it is is a difference but we assign value and worth and it's a ladder that climbs to absolutely nowhere because in Jesus's kingdom, the top rungs on those ladders have nothing to do with human differences at all. Mm-hmm. They're nothing. And I think that's what, what's happening here in this passage is what actually matters in the world and in the kingdom and in eternity are not the things that we pick and right. that we differentiate each other with. So political affiliation, all the things that we've talked about lately, yeah. those are not goodness or badness. They're just different. I remember when we first moved to Canada and Canada is a country very close, right? And it's not like moving to Japan where you're feeling constant at, uh, cultural differences, but it is a different culture and they do things differently. And I remember being there after the, the third or fourth month and the, the newness of it all was wearing off and some of the differences were becoming challenging. And a friend back in IT who had been a missionary in Russia had a perfectly timed and worded message to me. And he said, Jeff, you're probably starting to feel it, that you're living in a different place, different values, different ways of doing things. Remember, it's not wrong, it's different. And that shift in my mind was so helpful as I felt that. And I really think where we're at right now as a follower of Jesus, that's a distinction that we need to remember. Mm -hmm. It's not always like we often assign value to things that is not value. It's just a difference. And we do that in all kinds of things right now. And I think the key for us, it, a lot of those things, the reason I'm bringing this up, a lot of those things are blind spots. We don't realize we're doing that, taking a horizontal letter and making it vertical, but we do it. And it causes division in our world, in our country, but then it causes division in the church, which is even worse because mm-hmm. this church is meant to be one, right? So. Yeah, we do that. We do that. I mean, there are differences. I think that it's important though to address the fact that sometimes it is wrong like sometimes there are things there are cultural differences that we would look at and say well that's cultural sin i mean that's just it's just but we have different cultural sins you know and and we tend to be blind to the sin in our own culture because it feels so normal that um and we we undervalue the fact that when sin becomes normal 
it becomes less egregious to us. We're just like, yeah, well, everybody, I mean, you can fill in the blank with like, well, yeah, I know I do that, but everybody, everybody does that. And we don't realize that, well, and not in every culture, like the, the culture that you could look at. And I, I've, I think I've shared this before, but when we were overseas, like in central Asia, they gave us orientation and they said, you know, you're going to see things that, um, that you're going to be appalled by. Like you're going to see 13 year olds sit on the street, uh, drinking vodka and you know 13 14 year olds and that's going to bother you and it and it should like that is that is distressing to see that um but you need to understand that when they hear that you put your parents in nursing homes that there's such a thing as like the nursing home industry they're horrified they cannot imagine anything but the gravest of circumstances causing them to put their elderly parents in some other home um and in our culture, that's like, that's almost seen as the better thing. And and it's not like a, a discussion or debate over like, what's the right thing or, or whatever. But the point is that the fact that in our culture, it's so normative and another culture looks at that and says, that's just so horrifying, um, should, should give us pause when we, when, when, um, we judge those other cultures. Um, but I think, but I don't know what you think about this, like the, the i think the issue like as it pertains to peter's situation with the gentiles and 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 especially with our issues you know in our country when it comes to race um i just think you you hit the nail on the head earlier of like well we have to be open to listening especially to other brothers and sisters like it's it's understandable when we say well yeah i can I don't, how much am I gaining from someone that has a different worldview? So they, they think that the problem is a different problem. They think the solution to that problem is a different solution. But I think right now, man, a huge first step would just be some unity in the church, right? Like just yes. like there are, there are good, like Christ following people who have very different views than, I, I don't care who you are right now listening to this when it comes to the racial issues and the ethnic issues in our country, um, you can find godly Christ followers who will have a different perspective on it than what you have. And I think it's really important to hear that and to listen to that, um, not just on race, but on all these, all kinds of different issues, the issues that we think are political and we think are hierarchical that are not like, for example, um, healthcare reform, immigration reform, uh, even the issue of abortion. I mean, we haven't talked about this, but like Roe v. Wade looking like it's going to be overturned. Well, then what? Like what what happens then? What? Um, and it's really fascinating to talk to Christ followers who have a different view on what should be done. Typically, it's a different view on the solution or sometimes it's a different view on what the problem actually is. And if you listen, it's amazing like the eye-opening experiences you can have and the perspective that you can gain and and the empathy and the compassion that can come from that and you might still disagree on well then what we should do um or how what's the best thing for our culture or whatever but you find that you actually have a lot more in common um and if you don't then that that, then there could be theological differences and then that's a whole different ball game right so if i'm if I'm talking to someone who says they're a Christian, 
and they say, well, there's racial injustice in the world, which I would agree with um, for sure. And in our country, I would agree on so many of those things that they would say. But then if their answer is like, well, and the way that God redeems us is going to be through just laws and eradicating this world of racism through legislation. I would say, well, yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that. Like, that's not that's not going to happen. You're never going to legislate evil out of sinners. Like, that's just not going to happen. And so we can't put our hope in that because now, you know, the, all the fear mongering and everything that happens on both sides, it happens on both sides. Like, if your hope is in legislation to fix evil, you're you're never going to be satisfied and it's going to create a really unchristlike environment and an unchristlike attitude. Um, but if if your hope is is in Christ, and if we agree in that and saying like, well, look, God, like this is broken because this isn't the way God intended it to be. You know, this is the way God created it. The problem is sin. The answer is going to be the redemption of Jesus. And now I function in that way. And so I, um, I believe in creating just laws, not because they're going to fix evil, but because they point to a just God that, that I'm trying to point people to. Well, then amen. We're on, we're on the same page, even if we disagree on what those laws should be. But what's so discouraging is our conversation right now on this stuff would be bringing it back to the text would be as if Peter said after that vision, like, I just can't get past this. No, I don't think I'm not calling anybody unclean. I'm not, I don't have any of those issues. Like I've preached the gospel to all kinds of people. I'm not. So no, I'm not going to Cornelius's house. I'm just not even going to go talk to him. That's like where I feel like we're stuck. We can't even get to the conversations that would be helpful where the Christians in this culture could be a blessing to society because we're so, we're so busy denying that we have blind spots. And we just look so foolish. Like it's just foolishness to think I don't have any blind spots. And we are, and when you combine that with being awash in constant information and propaganda and misinformation, where something appears to be true and it may be partially true, but it's not the whole truth, it adds to that. The voices that we are surrounded with and that we choose to surround ourselves with each day that are not Christ's voice, that are not of his kingdom, they put different weight on what is important than what he does. They always do. There's always going to be some other thing that's most important that is different than what Christ says is most important all the time. And we fall for it. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is, you know, the, the lab, the constant labeling that happens right now, you're liberal, you're conservative, you're whatever. We label people because we can dismiss them. That is that is ultimately what that does right now in our conversation in the church. It's a label so that I don't take what you say seriously. And what you just described earlier was a, an ability to listen to people who are different, to have other ideas, and to actually talk about it. And we can't do that when we are constantly putting people in a camp putting people in a box because it, it comes back to the acts 10. Then they're always out. They are, we might be loving to them. We might, but they're never going to sit at the table with us. Right. They're always those other people. And that's just not the vision of Christ and his kingdom. It's not, mm -mm. he's the uniter. Mm -hmm. 
He is the thing that brings us together. Yeah, do you think that... So I, when I try to make this practical for people as as we're listening to this, it's so tempting on on either side of that. Like when I'm preaching something and um, somebody agrees... Like that's almost, it's almost as dangerous as when somebody's like closed off to it because then it can, then you can think like, so for example, with racial, with racial injustice, like if you agree that yes, and thankful that like we're preaching and on that and, and addressing that in our culture, that's great. But, but you also have blind spots to all kinds of things, you know, even in that world, I have those blind spots. I'm constantly trying to listen. And, and so maybe this would be helpful as I'm dealing with these different issues and as I'm like listening and, and um, trying to teach other pastors, like at seminary, teach them how to think through these things. Um, what I try to do is I try, I, I want to listen to, I want to listen to people that have different views than me. I want to be discerning as I listen. I want to always try to find what, what do we have in common? So I think the norm in conversations is I'm trying, people are trying to look for what they have in like different. Like I want to find out where we disagree. Um, Cause what you're trying to do is find people that just agree a hundred percent. And if they don't agree a hundred percent with you, then they're, they're off kilter. Um, but what I want to do is find what we have in common. And because there's a, there's always going to be some common ground, even if you're dealing with somebody that doesn't share any of your religious views or any anything at all like you often can get to some place where there where you can share a common concern or a a, con, a common um whether it's common fear or you or there they are calling something evil that is evil and we can also agree on that and call that out um but then to be honest about where where do we differ and often, you know, we're trying, every worldview is talking about, okay, well, what, what is the problem? So I think that's a question that you can ask when somebody says, um, if you're talking to somebody that's pro-choice, what, what do you see as the problem? And what, and, and is there anything in that problem that I can, um, that I can agree with? I literally had this conversation with a Christian who, and, and this is going to, this is going to make steam come out of people's ears. I know I just, but a Christian who's pro-choice. And she was anti-abortion for like morally and biblically, but politically, she believed that the best way to deal with that was to be pro-choice. And I could have just like dismissed that completely, but I didn't. I, I listened and listened about, okay, well, what do you see as the problem? Well, I see, you know, the problem is, um, you know, healthcare for impoverished single, especially single women, poor single women. Um, who don't have access to healthcare in any other way. And so their concern was like Planned Parenthood and, you know, where else are women going to go for healthcare? Um, and I'm able to affirm the concern of that. I'm able to, to agree that, yeah, um, poor, the poor in our country should have access to good healthcare. And we, we want to count the cost of pulling that out or whatever. Um, you know, whether it's sympathy over the, a person's situation in um, who would be considering abortion? I can I can acknowledge that um, we were able to agree on the fact that we wanted less, we wanted fewer abortions. Like we were able to agree, we we agreed on that. Um, and it was just such an interesting conversation because in it, I was able 
um, I was able to better articulate like why, like my view of, of speaking up for, you know, those who have no voice and, you know, and I would argue that the unborn, no one is, has a weaker voice than the unborn. And, and so it's critically important that the church speaks, um, for the unborn. And so I'm able to have that conversation back of pointing out like where Jesus would be in that and also being compassionate towards the mother and, you know, not letting it go into this false dichotomy that we tend to do. But that's just an example. Um, I've had the same conversations around racial issues, around um, uh, like all, all kinds of issues that if you actually listen to where people are coming from, you can say, oh, we actually have these things in common. And then you might find that there are, like I said, theological differences. So I mentioned this weekend of, of the accusation of our church of being liberal. And I wasn't sure if I should have said that or not, but then I had several people afterwards say, I'm really glad you said that because I've heard that accusation. Let's just be really clear that 20 years ago, the accusation of a church being liberal was centered around a few key things. Do you believe that scripture is authoritative or is it just, you know, principles and ideas, but you know, it's not really authoritative. It's not really God's word. So that was a big issue. Do you believe we're saved by Jesus, like through faith alone, you know, by grace alone? Um, and is Jesus the only way? Uh, there are other issues of like, are the miracles in scripture real? But those, those came back around to is, is the Bible true or is it just a myth, you know, a book of, of myths? These were the questions that defined whether a church was liberal or what was considered conservative. Um, and and let me just say really clearly, we hold to all of those like traditionally conservative views. We believe the Bible is authoritative. It is inerrant. We believe that the miracles in scripture happened. We believe that Jesus actually bodily, physically rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. We believe he's returning to judge the living and the dead and that every, um, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he is the way, the truth and the life. Like all of these things historically, like by every definition, we would be considered um, very conservative, you know, and very what was traditionally considered evangelical. But what is happening in our culture is people are attaching political views that, that used to be separate from political liberal conservative conversations. 20 years ago, if you were asking if a church was liberal, you would not be talking at all about their political affiliation. It'd just be these theological issues. But they've gotten attached. And we've and we've bought into the people who have, in trying to actually destroy the church, they've, they've attached the political ideologies to theological ideologies and, and, mixed and mixed and matched and weighted them all the same. So now, for example, if somebody you know, it believes in, um, like, I don't know, just say like universal healthcare. Well, all of a sudden that's a liberal, they're liberal. Well, not theologically, like it has nothing to do with like biblical or theological truth. Um, and so that is something that's really important. If you hear that, and if you're struggling with that, ask the question of like, well, what do you mean? We have to define terms. What do you mean when you say liberal? What do you mean when you say conservative? What do you mean when you say evangelical? What do you mean when you say progressive? Like, what, is, what does that actually mean? How would you define that? Um, and, and make sure that it's actually about biblical issues and not about whether you think taxes should go up or down. Which is a difference, not a moral right or wrong. Right. Like that's, it's so interesting that, Taxes, that confusion, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that confusion about central matters of our faith 
like that you listed and political affiliation and the way we want to solve the problems that we see that that confusion is really we need to keep highlighting it because i do think that it's something the enemy the true enemy of the church right satan wants to use to divide us and to confuse us and to cause us to use all kinds of energy and resources on things that are not the advance of the gospel they're not there's something totally different it's a different agenda it's not the kingdom of god it's something else and the the more that we can say this is a temptation this is a tendency this is maybe a blind spot the better because then we can at least be prayerfully considering where is that where are we doing that where are we being um duped into wringing our hands over things that God is not wringing his hands over. He's not. And I think that's going to be key for us this year and in the coming years that we continue to keep our focus on Christ and his kingdom. He has his own politics, by the way. Jesus, the kingdom of God are his politics. <laughs> right. That is what it is. And we want to be people at this church who that is what defines us. He does. His ways, his will, his character, his priorities. That is what defines us. And everything else... It doesn't mean that, that there's no other things that are important. It's just they're all secondary to him and his kingdom. Or third dairy. Yeah. Or f- they're just <laughs> going on and on and on and on, right? Right, because, I mean, taxes is such a good example. Can you imagine if in Acts, Peter's like, yeah, yeah, I know that we share Jesus in common, but these guys agree with me on my stance on how Rome should tax the church. That would feel so out of place in yep. the book of Acts. And that was you know coming full circle and kind of where I think we can put a bow on it at least for, you know, land the plane for this, this uh, part of the conversation. And, and by the way, like if you're sitting here listening going, man, I don't feel like there was any conclusion of this. Yeah. That's not what the podcast is for. Like we're just kind of continuing the conversation and hoping that it does continue. Um, but the point of what is very clear in acts 10 and 11 is that what Peter lands on is what, what identifies someone as being, you know, a part of the family is evidence of the Holy spirit like that. It cannot be overstated that Peter sees the Holy spirit fall on the Gentiles. And that changes everything for him up until that point. He's still going step by step going, uh, why am I like, even to the point of going to Cornelius and when he gets there being like, why did you send for me? He still isn't even assuming, well, obviously I should share the gospel. Cornelius has to tell him a vision and says like, look, God told me you had a message for me. And Peter's response is basically, oh, all right, well, now I truly see that God shows no partiality. Because why? Because Peter, the only message that Peter has that he feels is worthy of being preached in that moment is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's just so, I I don't think I, I didn't do a very good job on Sunday of articulating that. And I still don't think I can of how profound that is. Of all the issues that are going on, of all the things that Peter is being confronted by, when Cornelius says, God says, you have a message for me. There is one message that comes into Peter's mind. There's only one and it is the gospel. And that's what ends up bonding him. And when he sees the Holy spirit fall on them, he looks at them and says, Oh, you're my brothers and sisters. So much so that even when he's criticized and they call him out for him and like, wait a second, are you eating with Gentiles? And, and, and Peter says, let me tell you what happened. God gave them the Holy spirit. And if God gives them the Holy spirit, then who are we? Like we are clearly, we're clearly not seeing things correctly. And what is also fascinating is it doesn't solve all the issues. Peter's going to backslide again, right? 
the Jerusalem council is going to happen where they're trying to figure out like, what do we do? Do we require people to get circumcised? It doesn't solve all the issues. What it did was it flooded light into a spot that they realized now that they had this big blind spot. And now that just changes, it changes the trajectory of everything. It changes their view of everything. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it is when you're in these situations and when you realize when God floods a blind spot with light and you all of a sudden realize you had this big gaping, you know, this huge blind spot in your life, it doesn't settle all the issues. You don't like leave with all these well-formed conclusions. Like I genuinely, if you ask me right now, like, well, how do we, if, if we have this racial problem, how do you fix it? I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Like I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still listening. I'm still <clears throat> watching. We just had this tragedy of this shoot, another shooting. And people say like, well, then how do you stop these things? And I, I like, what do we do? How, what should our stance on this be? I don't know. Like first step is grieve and mourn. Um, but then I, I don't know, like to, to be aware that these things are issues and to be, um, to be open to any of that, but then ultimately to say, and, and so this is what, this is for all the rambling. I think this is like an important part is that Peter at that point looks at a Gentile who a day earlier he saw as unclean and as an outsider. And once he sees the Holy Spirit in their life, he now sees them as a brother and a person who was a Jew who did not follow Jesus as the Messiah. That's the outsider to Peter and not in a derogatory way, but that was something I didn't get to touch on. But we really like, that's a question I think we all should ask. Do you see the person in China who is a Christ follower as your brother more so even than the person here who shares all your political beliefs and is in your same town and has your same upbringing and, but does not follow Jesus. And I, and I get that that's a hard parallel. Like I'm I'm not saying like that's so easy, but that is something that we have to think about and realize that's the reality. The reality is that we're bonded by the gospel. We're bonded and the Holy Spirit, which means that when someone who has the Holy Spirit says something to me that I don't like and I don't understand, I owe them a hearing. They're my brother. I should listen to them and I should give weight to what they are saying in a way that I should not be giving to even someone who has grown up with my exact same upbringing who does not follow Jesus. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear because if someone, someone who has a certain political ideology that should not hold as much weight as a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who's from a different culture. And so if I could land it with a very concrete point, especially because as it pertains to Acts 10 and ethnicity and race, that's why I'm so passionate about if you don't understand the racial situation in our country, then listen to a black follower of Jesus. You don't have to listen to the secular humanist who's saying something that you're just like, oh, that's just so clouded with everything. Listen, read a book by Jamar Tisby. Listen to a pod, listen to an interview with him. Listen to Thabiti Anwubile. Like, just hear them. These are brothers who love Jesus, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, 
who understand sin and understand the depravity of man and understand the redemption of Jesus Christ. And so that's your brother. That's who can help shed light on this, not a person who has a political ideology and a political agenda who does not find their hope in Christ. And so if we can get to a place where we see that as what we have in common, because the gospel is actually what bonds us together, then I think we just take another step forward as the church to be able to be an agent of blessing uh, in our country. Well put, Jay. You made that concrete. I did. Good job. I was trying to make it concrete. So if you guys have questions, though, I hope I hope it's helpful. But if there's any issue, by the way, that you're like, man, I still don't, I don't understand how a Christian could think X, Y, Z. Let us know. I don't know if any of us will uh, hold that position, but we likely will be able to find and help you find somebody to read or listen to that would help you understand that point of view and what's going into that thought process. And at the end of that, you might say like, okay, I understand it and I disagree. I do that all the time with things. I've read all kinds of books where I'm like, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't agree. I don't find this compelling biblically, but at least now I understand, you know, where you're coming from. Um, so if you have any of that, whatever the issue is, please let us know. And we'd be happy to help you kind of, uh, think through that and find maybe some resources that would be helpful. So thanks Jay. Yeah. Do you want to sign off? Appreciate the conversation with you. It's been great. Church, thanks for listening. We so appreciate you and enjoy getting to walk with Jesus with you and alongside you. As, as always, if you have questions, uh, you can reach out. We love to discuss those on the podcast, but we love it even more in person, face-to-face. And we hope that your week is going well and that you are enjoying the fellowship of Christ together. Grace and peace. Grace and peace.